0: Well, I would say that's the most important thing, too, is, you know, it, it's about matching the right strain with the right ailment when you're talking about using a medicinal, right? Because you, do, you don't want someone to come in, you know, to a dispensary and be like, oh, I've got anxiety, i got anxiety, and you've got some bud tender, and it's like, hey, we got some great dog walker, and Dog walkers, you know, that, that'll just, that'll make you in a corner, too, in your nails. You know, that's the exact opposite experience you want. So, yes. not only do the plants need to be bred in such a way, and bo- on both sides of the equation, on THC and the CBD side, they need to be bred in such a way that you can, you, have, you know, uh, you have a general idea of what the experience is going to be.
1: IHemp Michigan is a member-based organization backing hemp farmers, seed cultivators, processors, manufacturers, and hemp businesses statewide. Our members are engaged in defining the path to success of industrial hemp from seed to sale and beyond. We are committed to empowering hemp farmers, fueling industry leaders, and educating consumers to ensure hemp flourishes in the Midwest. Our focus is influencing responsible and fair regulation, providing grower education, and enabling full access to the evolving marketplace. I IHemp Michigan advocates for wellness in people and the planet through hemp, and it begins with the farmer. Now, on to our show.
2: So uh, with that, I think we'll get into our uh, speaker here. we got Joe and Victoria from Seven Leaf Genetics. You know, we all know that genetics has played a huge, huge part of this whole thing. Um, and last year, uh, I heard Indiana, 20% of their crop went hot in Indiana. I don't know exactly what percentage it was in Michigan, but um, so Joe was a longtime plant enthusiast. He started experimenting with hybridization cannabis back in the early 90s. Uh, his first hybrid was a success, yielding a large producing plant that's cold tolerant and has amazing taste as well. Uh, it was the king, so he named it Elvis. Uh, then I'm not quite sure. Maybe they want to share the story or not, but somehow he got involved out in Oregon back in 2015. And
0: <laughs> did you meet Victoria that way? But we can talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, Vic. Vic and I were married at that at that point. At that but, time. Um, okay. <laughs> sure. Uh, o- Oregon was a was my first foray into um, like kind of the the legalized breeding, if you will. Um, Oregon had a, a strong medical market um, at that point, and I knew a guy that had started essentially a cannabis incubator um, where he had bought a farm and set up some greenhouses and an indoor grow. Um, and they wanted to make their own strains and hybridize cannabis and you know, create the fire um, and sell that. So um, I started flying back and forth and kind of helping them you know, get that up and running. And the, the growers, would, and I find this a lot um, as more states come online, You know there's a big difference between growing in your basement with a couple thousand watts and growing a thousand square feet or 1500 square feet and they ran into a lot of trouble just scaling up and getting uh getting you know getting that big (coughs) so the end result was they didn't really produce any new strains or anything like that but i used the time i was able to perfect my um you know my, my processes and how i do things and that was when i first really got into hemp was um Oregon has a real strong hemp market, you know, long history as, as far as the market goes. And uh, I met some great people out there that were doing you know, had some great strains. And it's, um, you know, from a breeder standpoint, it's a much more, um, everything you're growing is out of a hybrid, you know, Everything you're breeding is.
2: So let's start back, you know, when you were kind of doing some things here. So what fascinated you or how did you decide to get into the genetics game?
0: Well, it wasn't even, get into the genetics game i had always just had fun doing it like i i'm a plant guy my degrees are in botany and soil sciences so you know it was just a natural progression i really like the plant i like what it does for me um so to my mind you know and back then in the you know late 80s early 90s you kind of got what you got you know you had a friend go to amsterdam and sneak some seeds back that was great but that was the only time you really kind of knew what you were getting So everything out there was kind of, you know, and then the 90s, the you know, the Northern Lights and the skunks and stuff like that. The diesels came around and then you could start, you know, kind of tracking the lineage. But to my mind, you know, no one was really playing with the high CBD strains. Everybody was trying to breed for high THC. So, you know, when, when I first started working out there and I met these guys that were into hemp, you know, it, to my mind, as a, from a breeding standpoint, it was a much more natural progression because they're, you know, they, they haven't all been polyhybridized 10 times over, you know, and that's, you know, that's, what's going on in the THC market. There's no real true strains, you know, out there anymore, really.
2: So, uh um, so that kind of national led then when, when the hemp market came out, you got involved with that. So was there any, um, now you're doing it mostly for the CBD and the smokable market?
0: We do. We, we, we concentrate on the cut flower market. Um, Terpene profile is real important to us. Um, And, you know, just, uh, excuse me. We like things that are, um, you know,
1: Well, we're doing the cut flower market in Portland and in Vermont, we do seed. So Joe's got two genetics. I just want to add that in. There's two, there's two different, um, you know, one in one state we do hemp seed and in one state, we do flower. so it's when you say in the rack market.
2: Yeah, when you say hemp seed, are you talking about seed for
0: for sale? Cup for fla- yes, for the cut flower market.
2: Okay.
0: Yep. I'm going to bring up the
2: website here just a minute while we're talking. See if I yeah, can...
1: it's sevenleafgenetics.com. Yeah. There, are, there have been other companies that have come online since ours who have the same name. And uh, you'll notice it's ours because Joe and I are, like, we're in the bio and it says Vermont. And it's
2: sevenleafgenetics.com. All right, let me see. If, let me see. Dave, Dave is uh, Dave can usually screw this up pretty well. good. <laughs> all I can do with this.
3: There we go. Yeah, we're still kind of playing around with the seeds here in Michigan. Uh, 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 Blaine is, is much more expert on that than I. But um, what would you recommend here? I mean, and, and does the seed? that you recommend say what works in Michigan doesn't work in Alabama or Kentucky, or how does that all play out?
0: That's, that's absolutely true. Um, to you, to my mind, like we're here in Northern Vermont. So I would say that, you know, Northern Michigan would be a similar microclimate. You know, there may have some, you know, differences, but it's generally the same. You have cold winters, you know, in October, you you can see snow flying that sort of thing. It's, you know, it's usually wet. Um, So, The soils may be different, the plants may take it up a little differently, but generally speaking, you know, you'd want something that is cold tolerant, that's going to finish early um, and, you know, is is boitrous resistant, right? You know, because it's wet and moist, you know, right at harvest season. A lot of, it's very similar in the Pacific Northwest as well. As their rainy season, they they deal with a lot of the same situations. Um, You know, we've had some outreach from like Oklahoma and Texas where it's a completely different ballgame
1: oh, you, know, yeah. you, you know you need to
0: tolerant all, right. all the exact opposite of what you're looking for so
1: the you know, only similarity if I could just chime in there that Joe discovered in the two markets was wind, wind? and wind so you know wind. Uh, I don't know about yeah the winds in Vermont you can lose a crop on a really windy day because we get very very high winds Huh. And as they do in Oklahoma, et cetera. And so that is something to take into account when you're looking at your crops. That is something that Joe taught me was huh. to really be taking into account not only the plant and its needs and the temperature, but how much wind is there and what size and structure of the plant is he going for when he's doing his breeding. So huh. I just had to jump in there. Because yeah, just... I find it fascinating yeah. that he thinks that way. So... <laughs>
3: Uh, it's the first time I ever heard that. So uh, I don't know. Blaine's oh, yeah, heard, right. that have you heard that before. I've
2: heard that before. I've heard you know a lot of times people have this thing about clones versus plants versus seeds. So a lot of times that's... they say that the clones don't have a taproot, so it's more likely that you're going to have a little problem maybe with wind or have to have to um, string them up so to speak and you know, tie them up. Uh, so so I've heard that. That's... I have not seen that myself, but when I planted the year I did it, we did it from plants
0: seedlings so. Yeah. so plants do uh, cuttings don't have tap roots that's that's the advantage of a seed um, mostly that's not what I was concentrating for that's more of, that's more a function of the plant being able to, to attract water you know and be able to constantly have water the what I'm interested or what I was interested in, especially with with concern to wind was you know our first year that we started selling seed in 2016 on the you know into the market Our plants were 10, 12 feet tall. We had a farmer that planted 20 acres and lost about three of them to a windstorm because they were just these huge, monstrous plants. So that's when we were like, all right, let's dial it back. What's actually better is a four foot plant that's kind of bushy, that has um, not necessarily that all, all our plants are a big bulbous type thing. Um, And I find that that's more, especially when you're growing in a row, they kind of grow into each other. You can, they kind of offer each other support and you have the big Christmas tree cola types. Those are the ones I find once you, once they start going, they'll, they'll go over. So, you know, when you have high wind areas, that's, that's what we've, that's what we've been noticing. Or it's at least something that you can take into consideration when you're, when you're breeding, you know. And it's another thing I like about hemp is you're. You're breeding for all these different regions of the country, whereas you know with the THC market, which is fun and all that, but mostly guys are just breeding for THC content.
2: Yeah, you're just a little bit higher in our. Well, I
1: guess that- He guess
0: usually
3: couple, is. Couple of, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> you're describing. <laughs> that it sounds a lot like. I mean, your location other. is a little bit higher on the
2: on the latitude than where most of <laughs> Michigan is. What I meant by that. So. Right. Yeah, yeah we're, we're
3: forty, 40,
0: 42, I think
3: yeah yeah well, what you were describing is kind of like how the fruit orchards do in michigan cherry orchards apple orchards they're smaller trees and they all are grouped together versus a very large tree kind of thing absolutely you know, so.
0: and you know one of the things that you know we played around with we haven't done it in the past couple of years but we used to maintain a uh a um like a, a um it's like a nursery you know to kind of play around with different varieties one of the things that we really liked, um, and this speaks to um, those trees as well, is we grew a lot of companion planting um, and let the plants kind of trade the trade the oils back and forth. And you'd mm-hmm. be surprised at the the hints that the basil picked up that we, you know, we grew like 8,000 basil plants around, I don't know, maybe 200 pot plants, 200 hemp plants. Mm-hmm. And it's just amazing the, you know, the, that's what I find interesting about the plant really? is that, you know, all these different, yeah, oh yeah,
2: absolutely. You can excite no. those just terpene, just terpene
1: profiles.
0: Absolutely. They pick
2: up some of the terpene profiles. Yep.
1: And think about the bees also play a huge part of that as well because they're literally when they are circu the bees love the hemp plants. Mm -hmm. And we certainly see them circulating through all of the companion plants as well. Mm -hmm. And I feel I definitely felt and and you know what? We didn't at that time they weren't doing the terpene profiles and testing. Mm-hmm. But um, I think we have some of the terp profiles, and I think those plants produced more terpene
3: so
1: than I'm had going the companion the plants right, them.
2: On the screen right now, I've got uh, your th- th- three. The three, yep. Now, are those CBD or are those? those? Are,
0: those are all CBD. The one thing I would say is we, do, we don't run our the more um, anymore because it was starting to run a little hot. And by hot, I mean just over 1%. So, you know, mm-hmm. even with the new rules now, that doesn't mean you were still getting, you know, this is a five foot plant uh, that, you, you know, people are still yielding a pound and a half. You were just taking it way, way earlier that it was actually mature. Mm-hmm. And then that means, you know, you just got to you got to stop that degradation right then and there. So, you know, it, it just put a lot of pre- extra pressure on it. It wasn't worth getting any farmers in trouble or, you know, making them disappointed with, you know, the end result.
3: Speaking of one percent, do you think that's likely to go through? I mean, there's a lot of pressure to change that, it, but it,
0: it, it, sh- it to my mind, it should. You know, and and I think that's what we were speaking to a little earlier um, about the ratios. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's you know the the simple fact is is a THC plant and a CBD plant are they're the same plant. You know, it's just a different chemo type, mm-hmm. right? So uh, eventually, the administration and you know the powers that be are going to realize that we're talking about the same plant and kind of make it all one one market that's what because we you know even on the west coast where we produce for the rec market uh we like to play with what we found is even when oregon had a million pounds of extra hemp a couple or extra thc you know flour a couple years ago while most of that was lower grade you know flour it was also the stuff you could get everywhere we grow, you know, the Cinex and we grow the nine pound hammer and strains that people actually use for sleep and for anxiety and for headaches.
3: Mm.
0: You know, when you have a, when you have a patient or someone that's using that truly medicinally, mm-hmm. that's the most loyal patient. They'll seek out your product, especially if you put a good product out there. Mm. And that's what I mean about, you know, eventually this market has got to come, you know, that, that CBD or that THC number in hemp has got to come up even higher. Um, and you'll start seeing those ratios. And I think that's what you know, I think that's where the future is headed.
1: The reason from a medical standpoint that we're talking about ratios for maybe some listeners who aren't as familiar is because CBD tends to temper the effects of THC. Mm-hmm. And so when we're looking at something that's a one to one, if I have one gram of THC and I have one gram of CBD, I'm going to be able to keep that psychoactive effect really in check.
3: Yeah, we're working. We just launched a project called Hero, where we're working with vets where have- PTSD, and we've been surveying him to kind of what do you think kind of thing. We're in the really early stages, and a lot of them are saying, "Look, I don't need to get any higher." I mean, no, I, they we, need
0: something to calm them down.
3: Yeah, they need something to calm them down, and so I'm very interested to hear more about this. We're being talk after the show about that, sure, because um, yeah, we're looking for uh, we and we even have a five acre hemp farm that we're training vets how to be hemp farmers on, and that's uh, great. They, They've already planted for the season, but, I mean, it's certainly something to take a look at going forward because that's exactly what we're looking for is something to kind of mellow them out, not only them, but everybody else for that matter, versus the, the big bugaboo is everyone's all hemp. I'm going to get high, and not unless you, like, smoke a telephone pole worth or something, you know.
1: <laughs> right. Um, I was so going to say, yeah, the it's, dosages it's, 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 it's to take an effect um, Yes. Yeah, Are are actually quite high, yeah. Right, yeah, and that becomes not affordable. Sure. So, um, given the market, you know, to really take effect on a medicinal level, like for instance, I need CBD. I'm on chemotherapy right now. It interferes with my sleep cycle, and I need, I you know, I started maybe with ten milligrams of CBD, and it was not helping. I've had to go up to three hundred and fifty. Oh my god! That's that's my number right wow and i get a full night of sleep and i'm not hungover, and i feel and i feel like more of a not cancer patient right so um anxiety patients um i've done a lot of consulting cannabis medical cannabis consulting and a lot of the patients i've had have had to take well over 50 milligrams to have a desired effect on things like anxiety but particularly ptsd because we're looking at you're looking at brain balance there and there's an amygdala there's there are different hormones that are being released and the endocannabinoid system really if you right. want to repair it from trauma requires these much higher levels
2: huh well and let's ask let's talk about edibles for a minute then so you know you're working with the smokable parts but you're getting are you getting the same benefit if you know the ratio or the percentage in edibles because a lot of people can't smoke you know they'd rather use something else
1: Different. So each, each way of taking the plant in um, interacts with the endocannabinoid system differently. So sometimes with someone, what we're going to recommend is a topical an edible and a tincture. So if they can't smoke, okay. Tinctures have a different delivery method, even though it might seem like an edible, if you're using a sublingual or if you're using a carrier like a grain alcohol, you're getting a different absorption rate and a different onset time. Huh. And so there's different ways when you're talking about like people who can't smoke. What I do with what we do with, you know, as bud tenders and as, you know, people caregivers, you know, it's our gotcha. job to sort of work with them and make a tincture, make an oil, find an edible. And sometimes the answer is not cooking and decarboxing but actually going to raw form and taking the plant in raw putting it in smoothies etc it just depends on the disorder Mm -hmm. and that person the way that person uses the medicine yeah
3: well for me for instance i'd never call myself an athlete but i still bike i still run go to the gym i'm less inclined to smoke because I want the lungs, you know. I gotta have that, right? Mm-hmm. And right. but I've had really uneven experiences with edibles. Some of them were like, "Oh yeah. my god," huh. you know. And uh, other ones, you go, "I don't feel a thing." So I mean, I think that's some concern out there among a lot of people on that as well. So I
1: would ask them. You know, the other thing to talk about is, you know, we're not. If you're using for medicine, you're not pulling a tube. You're not doing a bong hit. All right. Right, and so. The amount that you would be inhaling should be tempered and much smaller mm-hmm. you know you're not smoking all day it's it's those habits that create the problem with smoking and the lung oh, the lungs okay. itself as an organ i promise you can handle two or three draws up to five draws off of um any type of smokable because mm. your lungs that's that's not going to degrade your tissue and remember what you're inhaling has high anti-carcinogenic properties in it. Oh, good point, yeah. Each cannabinoid has, you know, these different effects that are anti-inflammatory, and that's why we see much more lung cancer in people who smoke cigarettes, yeah. cigars, those types of things than you do with somebody who's only smoked marijuana.
3: Or yeah, I've never smoked cigarettes. That's one one nasty hair, that's but right. i never picked up, you know? <laughs> exactly.
1: So... so Just, you know, when we're talking about the inhalants into people, it's like, well, let's all just be really transparent about usage and how you're using when you're recommending things to people. You know, encourage them to be honest with you so you can guide them in the right way.
0: Well, I would say that's the most important thing, too, is, you know, it's about matching the right strain with the right ailment when you're talking about using a medicinal, right? Mm -hmm. Because you you don't want someone to come in. You know to a dispensary and be like oh i've got anxiety i got anxiety and you've got some bud tender it's like hey we got some great dog walker and you know, dog walkers you know that that'll just that'll make you in a corner chewing your nails <laughs> you know and that's the exact opposite experience you want so yes. not only do the plants need to be bred in such a way and both on both sides of the equation on thc and the cbd side they need to be bred in such a way that you can you have you know you have a general idea of what the experience is going to be yes. so that you can, and then you need to train the bud tenders and the people that are actually interacting with the general public and the patients as to what strains and what you're, what you're actually looking for in a medical strain.
3: And you want a consistent experience. That's why people go to McDonald's or they go to the chain it's restaurants. Sorry, Cause they're going to have yep. the same thing every time. Right. And, and it's, it's
1: why we should work on naming strains and it's not for ownership or genetics or anything but the names should really reflect either the genetics that you can refer to so you can be like oh can trace what it. is this going to do to me right or the name should really explain what it's do what it's going to do to you or what it's for mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's. I find it's really hard when people go into a dispensary. They're like, "It sounded so good, Tangerine Dream, <laughs> but I wasn't sleepy." <laughs> like, yeah. <so> I was <laughs> like I was, I was,
3: I was, hovering in the in the corner, biting my nails or something. That wasn't exactly. what I was looking for. You know, so.
1: Yeah, and they're like, you know, people just get they get so confused.
3: Mm-hmm. When you and guys sell your seed, is it
0: feminized seed? It is. We uh, we sell all feminized seed. We sell to the hemp market. So we sell mostly to craft farmers, you know, the five to 20, 30 acre farmer, you know, that's a a 30 acre farm is a pretty big farm for us, you know, so we sell, you know, five, 7,000 seeds at a clip and that's, um, it's all feminized. They want, they want a standardized product. Right. And that's, Mm -hmm. you know, that was one of the biggest things that um, confuses me between the two industries is, you know, in the hemp market, when I sell 5,000 seeds to a farmer, he wants 5,000 plants that all look essentially the same size they're they're all going to do the same thing they're all going to finish the same time they're going to give them the same cbd content they're all going to be standard mm-hmm. the thc market you got you know f1s and f2s and you know and, and then it, it's crossed again and you're getting that there's no consistency in that so yeah, I, I don't know how to stop that but that's that's the game right now um it, it's unappealing but that is the game
1: when Joe says F1 or F2, again, for listeners who might not know, we're oh, using breeding terms and we're referring to the literally the lineage of the plant. And when you're planting out your 5 or 1,000 or 20,000 seeds, you want all the plants to be as close together, but not close space-wise, but genetically uniform as possible because you're going to be harvesting. Mm-hmm. And when you get over an F4, an F3, or higher you have a lot of stability whereas an f1 or f2 somebody just made that plant recently mm. and you have no idea which phenotype is going to express and how it's going to happen
0: and generally you'll get three or four different phenos that are going to express and that's and to my mind that's the fun part because then you're out there in a the field looking at what is the best plant what is the one that stands out above all the rest because that's the one you want to breed with mm-hmm you know, you want to pick, you want to breed, you want to, if you're making something new, you want to pick the best of the best. So that's when you go out, you pheno hunt it. Once you have that, you have your male donor, you can go ahead and start back crossing. So you know you like this plant. You know how you like its structure. You like its, you know, its, its scent, its taste. It gets you good and high. It does all the things that you want it to. Then you can go ahead and take the same pollen from the same male and kind of back cross it again, pollinate it again, take those seeds, grow them out that's going to give you a less incidence of all these different phenotypes. It's going to give you a more, you know, more of the same phenotype, you know, more of that same structure, that same plant that you're looking for. You get, take the same thing. You go ahead and take that same pollen from the, from the male, pollinate it again. You, you take those seeds, you grow those seeds out. Now you're at an F3, right? You've oh, done that three times. Four now we are you're at F4.
2: Are you looking at a three, four year time frame here? Absolutely. You, we, that's right.
0: Greenhouse? So you, can, you can push it um you know I, when we're simply trying to stabilize the seed when i what i've done when i we've bred a plant and we're just trying to make sure that it's it, it's going to do the same exact thing every time you don't need to grow a whole field right and we don't we don't have a whole field to grow we're a four thousand square foot indoor facility so but once we know that we like these genetics we can then go ahead um and backcross and speed that whole thing up because we know we're not growing this whole field we know we can grow a male and a female pop it so as soon as they're mature enough to go set into flower you put you know a tray into flower and you you know you pollinate everything up that's your back cross right so you can kind of speed that up but when you're trying to breed and trying to really look for something special you you want to take your time you don't want to try and rush that and just kind of you know get it wrong you know a lot of times you know one of the big things i look for is you know disease resistance and bug resistance you know there there are strains out there there are plants you know that will you know on the indoor side not get mites there are ones that are much more resistant to powdery mildew you know on the hemp side of things um boytress. you know you, yeah yeah boitress. so you don't you don't know that until you've grown that plant out you've kind of looked at it in in a rainy season in a dry season so it does take a couple years to really kind of stabilize and get a uh, get a strain to the point where you know you can sell, you know, 10,000 of them and those 10,000 plants are going to create 10,000 essentially same plant.
2: Huh. I see you also have uh, services you do, you have some consulting services you do things like that. Um uh, yeah. Yeah. So I he, do he, he, here's the million dollar question or just say $64,000 question. So you can help me grow, you can help me get, pick out the right genetics and stuff. But we all have that problem when it comes to sales. So can you help with the consulting on the sales end as well for
0: farmers? No. um the first question I the first question I ask any potential new client is where do you intend to sell it? Um we have friends that you know broker it and kind of buy it here and there. Um we're happy to introduce like the the farmers that grow our genetics we try and introduce them to friends that we know that are processors or that are, you know, are looking at for, you for know, the, the, the flower, you know, the little dog walker cigarettes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, if we know someone we're happy to introduce people, but we don't get involved in brokering or buying and selling or anything like that. We're a seed company and we like to try and keep ourselves you know, focused on seeds and focused on breeding and not try and stay in our lane.
1: That, and the consulting Joe does people right. really come to him for the grow advice. Right because we're very clear up front. Like I even tried to make it a company rule, but Joe vetoed me that we would not sell one seed to anybody who didn't have an end game. Because to me, it's such a carbon footprint. I mean, to Mm -hmm. grow the plant, to put it in, to harvest it, especially especially in a farm situation. And we were doing a lot of dairy farm conversions here because uh, the dairy industry had a huge, (laughs) was just closing down here in Vermont. And these farmers needed a conversion anyway. Point is, they would put all this money into growing it and harvesting, and they had no end game.
3: Yeah, there you go. That's the, and it it's... was
1: heartbreaking. I mean, these people took out loans on their freaking farms.
0: Yeah, it was, it, it's sad. It was, um, I mean,
1: I mean that, we didn't sell them seed and do that to them. We went in post facto when we're trying to help. Yeah. Um, but it was, it's, I really can't stress that enough to anybody in either side of the industry, rec or, med or cannabis, hemp, whatever have an have end, end game, game. or, at, <laughs> least, or don't, least don't ha- at least have an idea
0: of an end game, like at least have some leads and, you know, um, it's not going to sell itself. You're going to need to go out there and push it. Um, the, the, the market, the industry is too new for it to be. It's not mature enough to be able to go and just have buyers that are going to just buy it all. You're going to need to make, you know, you're going to need a network. You're going to need to really you know, build some relationships and- Yeah,
1: and get ready to be limber and bend.
0: Yeah, because yeah, that's, it, actually, that's business, as a, you know? as
3: a farmer. <laughs> so, well, your, your seeds, is it just for medicinal type purposes, or do you grow seeds we, for, say, we, fiber or other things like that?
0: So, we do. We play, uh, we, do, we do run a well, we're about to launch our fiber seed. We do have two fiber seeds that we're going to launch. Um, and then we're also working with a lot, um, we're doing a couple small plots of bioremediation. Um, and using the plants really good at pulling heavy metals, especially up. Uh-huh. So, I've been playing around with a couple strains that have really high silica contents, which seems to kind of draw the metals more than others. Uh-huh. And we're just trying to do some research and some experiments on that as to which. Which varieties um, work better than others at that? But most of them are the grain, the grain varieties I've noticed.
3: What was that we had? Was the fiber. It, was it Lake Superior State College we had on a couple of weeks ago, Blaine? That was had that experimental farm, and that was one of the things because they're up in the upper peninsula is a mining area, and uh, exactly. the, the, the ground really is screwed up so there.
0: We work. One of our uh, our partners has um, some friends in Peru. And they're thinking about doing the same thing. All the copper mines and the metal mm-hmm. mines down there, growing hemp around those, mines, making them grow or having them grow hemp around those mines to pull all that, that just that, all that toxicity out of it.
2: The of thing the is,
1: it's it's what? funny. People still they take the remediation hemp and they're like, what do I do with it? They want to, they want to do something. We have to explain to them, you burn it now.
3: Oh, well, you can make it know, into hempcrete or you know building you can material. Make it
1: But where in the East, so I don't know about you guys, but I can tell you this, people who try, we don't have a processing facility in Vermont or Maine, et cetera. So to get your hemp converted over into fiber or Crete or any other product outside of an oil extraction, you literally are now going to have to package it up and get it across state lines and Mm. start driving it around to a processing facility of which- I, where's where do you guys have a hempcrete like? Where's your nearest hempcrete facility?
3: Blaine.
2: <laughs> what I'm looking at is a question that's coming in, so I, I apologize. Oh no worries, sorry. So um,
0: your question to me was on the decortication.
2: I was
1: just wondering about hempcrete and but fiber. Hempcrete.
0: If, if, if you're hempcrete. a processor or a, a hemp farmer and you wanted to process your your grain fiber into grain or into hempcrete, where's the closest far, like? processing plant that, you know, Victoria was speaking to how we don't have a grain fiber, or a hemp creep fiber processing plant in New England that I know of. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So
2: right now it's happening here and I think other places too, but we're developing quite a little market in the plastics industry is one.
0: Excellent. That's um, a huge issue.
2: And uh, the other thing, which I just talked about uh, to the guy the other day is he's actually selling the product to uh, people that are making it in the, with soil. So like we have vermiculite and stuff in the soil right now for like your growth. Well, they're finding that when they put this, the hemp fiber, or excuse me, the hemp herd in, that it really makes a great soil. Um, So there's some- soil amendment. Soil amendment, Mm -hmm. you know. It retains the water, of course, then dries out. And then when you fill it back up with get water more. Um, I am able to do uh, decortication of the CBD plants and I don't huh? know anybody else that can do that right now. Everybody else is working on decortication of the long, tall, regular fiber stuff. Right. I can take the CBD plants and I can separate them. And I make chuck them out. Yeah. I'm making that into um, uh, bedding for horses and small animals, that kind of stuff, as well Yay. as part of it's going into the plastics industry as well there. So, um, and then the grain part... Now the grain part is coming on, right? Right now, the problem that we have is that we have to do all this testing with USDA and uh, to be able to use this for uh, feed for animals. Now, if you're feeding your own animals, pets, that kind of stuff, chickens you're harvesting yourself, beef you're growing yourself, that kind of stuff, uh, you can feed it to your animals on your own. But if it's going into the marketplace, then right now it's not a authorized supplement to be used for feed, but it's coming we know i say
0: that's being considered isn't
2: it oh yeah uh, yeah right now we know that the results we're getting back on a lot of the test stuff is just showing that a the animals are are, uh, are, are loving it better um yeah. less less disease um they just seem to have a little better attitude about life sometimes say less, stress. <laughs> less stress yeah let's put it that way um, it's, and it's not that they're getting high that's not it but it's just the amino acids and the fatty acids and all the micronutrients that are in the hemp that just does this for them it's just a natural thing it's not it's not it's not uh, it's, yeah. again it's not the thc that's doing this because in the hemp seed itself there is no thc right no. um i make i take the seed and i make uh, hemp oil out of it hemp seed oil out of it yep. so I, I cold press it and do that um so all of those things then the cake that's left over from that we're going to be able to use that for hemp protein powder which is available now you can go to any health food store and buy that yeah. um, so a lot of the other products are going to come along here and they are coming along um it's just uh, it's just that training it takes some time uh, to mature yeah just yeah, it's on. really the
3: it's the, the infrastructure issue and the buyer on the other end again i'm not a farmer but i've been on the show long enough to know that farmers don't grow something where they don't have a contract with a buyer on the other end and that's, that's right. the kind of the missing element right now so uh, one circles
2: that you saw behind perfectly Dave,
1: put. I agree.
2: Yeah, the three circles that you saw behind Dave's head earlier before he well, before he left, those are hemp frisbees. So they're twenty five percent hemp material. Thirty five percent. Uh, Is it thirty five? Yeah. Okay, thirty five. So and you know, hemp wood So wood. so that's coming, and then his wall was the hempwood wall uh, made in Kentucky. So all of these products are coming. um We're going to have on June twenty sixth. We're having a hempcrete workshop um and it's going to be in um, here in michigan at the critter farm and the kids are going to make bricks uh and we're going to use those bricks in a wall and a little fundraiser for the for for the critter farm so we're having a lot of fun with that i was going to ask you about your seed you know since you're in vermont and up in there have you been have you tried any of your seed down in the hotter climates let's say
0: you know down in alabama or mississippi are you you finding a difference uh there's definitely a difference um we do not have we have clients as far south as like new jersey pennsylvania like that's a mid-atlantic region Mm -hmm. um so we i'd love to get down in there um i have some strains that i think will do well um they they certainly do don't do well in the cold um so they (laughs) tend to they tend to like it moist so i think that they would do well but i don't have a partner or a farmer or anything like that down south where um we could even start trying them out but you know uh I was talking with some gentlemen out on the West coast and they're trying to, you know, the, the carbon sequestration is going to be coming online here pretty soon. And hemp is a wonderful plant for that. Mm -hmm. So I've been working with these guys and we were talking about kind of, uh, they want to um, advise different regions of the area, what strains to grow that are best for carbon sequestration and kind of develop a list of that. And that kind of speaks right into what we were talking about where, you know, I'd love to get down South. I do have some strands that I think would do well down there, but again, you know, you're talking about a year, a year and a half at a minimum of testing them and making sure that they're, they're going to do well. And, you know, you, you want to make sure that it, they don't do well in a good growing season. You want to see how they do in a bad growing season, you know, when it's, when it's a, when it's a horrible harvest and there's snow on October 4th and, you know, are they going to take it? Or are they just going to die? You know, like that sort of thing. That's really what you want to see. Cause that's, that's going to tell you what, you know, if the plant's really going to be able to st- stand up. Um, you know, I see a lot and especially in the hemp market, you know, it's, you know, a couple of years ago, at least here in new England, a lot of hemp farmers were like, wow, the seeds, it's relatively easy to make. Right. And you just throw some pot, you, know, you can put pollen on the pistols and let it fly. Um, but to get it stabilized and to get it, there is a much longer, uh, much more entailed endeavor. Um, and I think, You know, at least around here, there was a lot of last year and the year before, just a lot of substandard seeds, not substandard. I mean, they grew a plant and all that, but they weren't the same plant and some were hot and some were big and some were, you know, they they weren't steady throughout. And that's, you know, again, when you're buying 5,000 seeds, that's what you want is, you know, an even crop.
2: Well, and even for harvesting and maintaining and exactly all that stuff, you know, it needs to be a uniform you know, corn yep. is the same. right? When you grow the one variety of corn, you know what you're going to get, I, how it's going to be, and that
0: kind and of. And I and I will and I will say this. You know, as the farmers, um, you know, please give breeders uh, um, some slack. You know, we've been at this, especially on the hemp side, for a mere you know, maybe seven years now. You know, corn's been bred for over a hundred years. They've been breeding that out and sterilizing it and get you know getting it, you know, inbred lines and stuff like that. Hemp's a pretty new market still, so you know the the. the the, the true breeding, selective breeding, it takes time to kind of get hold and to really be rock solid. And it takes uh, people doing it the right way. You can't just, you know, yeah. Oh, and one year and then add new.
2: Right, And another thing I want people to do too, especially as you brought that up, is you need to respect the work and hard work and time and energy that the breeders put into this. And, sure. you know, when I sell hemp grain for, yep. for grain or for fiber, um, there's an agreement that they make, you know, that they're not going to, uh, you know, keep the seed over. They're not going to sell the seed if they keep it from the next year you know, that kind of stuff. So, you know, be mindful of those and why those are in place, because if we don't have that protection in there for the breeder, well, then what's the incentive for them to be able to do anything as well. Right.
0: Exactly. And I think that, you know, just the more, you know, it adds transparency. And I think that that's, um, the more transparency you can add from beginning to end, the better The better off everybody is. Because this is a new, it is an emerging market. And, you know, there are going to be mistakes made. There are going to be, you know, just genuine you know mistakes. And, um, you know, it, they don't, you know, I see it a lot on the West Coast. You know, all these guys are trying to sue each other because these seeds didn't come out right or they didn't, the germ rate. You know, it's just, it, it's a mess. And I, you know, it's it's going to come on the, it's going to come, you know, I, I'm expecting it on the East Coast, but I'm sure it's coming to the Midwest as well. And, and all that is yeah, that- exactly. So, you know, I think that it's tough because it is such a new market. It's hard to generally you'll go to an old established company that you're like, okay, they've been in business for a hundred years. I know that they, you know, sell the, you know, this thing and it's gonna be what, what they say it is. With, you know, hemp seeds, you know, Oregon CBD is, you know, what, 10 years old now? You know, they're you know essentially the gold standard. They um, you know, they're 10 years old. You know, we're we've been in business for six. You know, it's not, you know, we've been in business a while. We've spent two years in research and development before we even sold our first seed. And that's, that's essentially what it takes. There's no, especially when you're doing selective breeding, you know, it, it, it takes time.
2: So the question that came in that I've got here is if you're growing indoors, does your, um, region matter, uh, like it might, if you're growing outdoors?
0: It, your region doesn't matter, but what I would say is that you'd want a strain that is designed for either like a greenhouse or an indoor operation, right? So you don't want you don't want a plant that's five feet tall that's going to be five six feet around, and try and grow that in an indoor you know in a four hundred square foot space. You'll get you know ten plants in there. So you're much better off growing a much smaller plant or something that you could put in you know into a into a scrog or something like that. So no region wise, it's not because you're going to be keeping the environmentals in that room. Or in the greenhouse, the same. I think it's more a matter of the size of the plant, and again, the structure. What you're looking for at that point, I'd want to, you know, try and grow smaller plants that are just going to put three or four big monster colas up. Mm-hmm. So you'd look for a strain that, you know, is it grows in that way. Yeah. You know, put puts a big top cola on there. Mm-hmm.
1: He's saying, in this instance, gentlemen, that size matters. <laughs> As well, well,
2: you
3: know, it's always it. oh, do you want to respond to that? Or mm, <laughs> it's funny when you think about <laughs>
1: cannabis breeding, it's like the only time, well, it's not only cannabis, but in this plant breeding,
3: mm-hmm.
0: it's like,
1: no, you want incest in your plant breeding because mm-hmm. it creates stability. Like when I first met Joe and was talking to him about breeding, I was like, that's not okay with people, why is it okay with plants? <laughs> <laughs> it's so interesting it creates instability in humans but stability in plants i just had to pipe in with my dirty jokes thanks
2: yeah that was good <laughs> well we always need you know we always need levity. Yeah. that's for sure yeah, that's right absolutely yeah.
0: <laughs> well, guys i want to thank you
2: very much uh for taking the time out of your schedules and stuff to share a little bit with our viewers and and we appreciate that very much uh i'm sure that hey, it we, was fun it'll be, be pleasure when we get a chance to meet each other maybe face to face at some one of these times and
0: yeah uh, I think we're gonna we're gonna try and do NCAN, Illinois. There's a couple couple conferences now that things are opening up again. Um, you know, I do a lot of speaking and so um, I'm gonna I just applied for a bunch of different speaking engagements around the Midwest. So hopefully uh, hopefully I'll be out there soon.
3: Hey, hey, invite him to the to your conference in January, Blaine.
2: Yeah, well I was just going there.
3: Ah, okay.
2: <laughs> and also we have the Hempy Awards, right? Now last year we didn't have anybody put in for the breeding and the seeds and stuff. So you might want to think about putting stuff in for the Hempy Awards this year.
0: All right. I'll I'll That'd look into it.
2: Yeah, we gave away a nice, very nice hemp bowl that we had made, uh, turned on a lathe kind of thing. I don't know what we're gonna have this year, but we'll have something pretty cool. That, something hemp. cool. That's a whole Excellent. idea. So yeah, this was the uh, this was a little bowl that we did.
3: Oh fantastic. Yeah. So that's I'll out of look. the guy out of Even Kentucky, bowl. right? Yeah.
2: All right. Well, thanks, guys. Wow. Again. Uh, Mike, anything? I'm going to get into some other stuff. Mike, anything you have you want to share before we? Yeah, there was a thank you, Mike, by the way, uh, sent to you for what you're doing for the veterans. I want you to know that.
3: So. Uh, well, thanks. Yeah. Well, well, you know, my dad was a veteran. My granddad was a veteran. I'm, I'm not a veteran. I was, I was during the Vietnam War. I was in college, so I'm not a veteran. But we certainly know that everybody and every family has veterans and we're trying to help those folks.
0: So, we well, reach out to us after the show because we can definitely talk about certain strains that help with anxiety and depression and all of those things.
3: Yeah, that's what we're really going it's, for. We are not it's, like I can say these guys don't need to get any higher. They already exactly to right. get that covered. We want to bring them down and, and you want and,
0: high C you and high CBN numbers so that they can sleep. You want high right. CBC I, I think numbers you guys so just that they're kind relaxed. Blaine's sure. Oh, sorry, Blaine.
3: Oh. <laughs> yeah. We were stepping on Blaine's exit there. <laughs> Great. Hey, yeah. it's, it's, Blaine,
1: aren't you glad
0: I'm here? <laughs> you, know, it,
2: it's,
3: it, it, you
2: guys are talking about good stuff, and Mike, I think you ought to have them on the show that they can talk about some of what those strains do and help people out. You probably have that, but I think they could probably it's That's a good up.
3: idea, actually, because yeah, I have a separate show that's, again, 420 Post focused on uh, right. the other side of the business, right? So, But still, you know. But so. well, like
0: I said, it, eventually the people, that the powers that be, are going to realize that we're talking about the same exact plant. Mine. it's the same plant it's a cannabis plant yeah. so you know it, it's just a matter of what what compounds it, it, it grows or what cool. it produces
2: so, so just, i just want to throw out to everybody that um uh, june 26th at the critter farm in zealand uh we're going to be having the hempcrete worksheet workshop great time to bring the kids out a lot of activities we're going to make bricks uh they'll have some of the farm animals there um the actual, the actual farm where they have the animals is called the Critter Barn. They're moving to this new location when everything gets built out there. Um, so we're going to be making hemp bricks. We're going to be uh, making a hemp um, kind of an artwork on a call it a piece kind of thing. We're going to have some games. We're going to have some raffles. Uh, so it's going to be a fun day, real kid-oriented kind of thing. So uh, please come out if you are in the area and, and visit us for that. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, do mark your date and set your calendar for uh, January 21st and 22nd. That'll be the uh, third, actually. Uh, I Hemp Midwest Expo at the Lansing Center in, in Lansing, Michigan. And then the rooms we'll have available for that will be at the Radisson uh, right across the street. They have another new motel they put up as well. But the nice thing about the Radisson is it's connected right to it. So it's always a perfect uh, 65, 72 degrees. You never got to go out in the snow, all that fun stuff. So. And then Friday night will be the big party with the Hempy Award. So we're looking forward to all that fun yep. being done there. So uh, with that, I think we are ready. Oh, uh, for... so,
3: yeah, The best part of the show. Now stand by Victoria and Joe, here it show. comes. So. Um, oh, and here's another product
2: too, you guys, if you haven't seen this, this is actually uh, from one of our, we had them on a while ago uh hemp straws
3: oh, excellent mm-hmm.
2: so and i thought you know I, I i did a little experiment i kind of put them in water overnight and i thought well they'll probably dissolve or kind of be smushy or gooey or whatever but man they hold They're up really, really well um so uh,
0: and what's that what's the company name the company name
2: help me honey As um like, where, how do i get it Jordan planet.com and jordan henshaw is the owner brain behind everything there so in
1: tech Uh, they're actually
2: shop hemp tensils if you put in hemp that's kind of how we first got to know them they have they make the forks and the spoons and all that stuff out of hemp plastic excellent
0: excellent because speaking of you know this is all the more end users that you can that you can touch base with and build networks for that's how we're going to mature this industry absolutely that that and because it all comes back to where you're going to sell your product
1: yeah, and can you give us the name of that frisbee company?
2: Uh, I Hemp Manufacturing.
1: Thank okay. you.
3: Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. And Dave Crable. if you want, you need to get hold of Dave.
3: That
1: guy. Yep, yeah. I got, I got. I got. his email. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. He's, oh, he's, he's got actually email. got
3: a lot of other products in development too. He's starting out with frisbees, but there's other stuff too. That's
0: Excellent. So cool. Well, you know, even like on the THC side, like the. The amount of plastic containers that, that our product goes in, yeah. like we've got to come up with a better answer than, than what, what, what's currently out there.
2: Yeah, we've had a number of uh, a DEMA Corporation uh, out of Colorado. Uh, they make some real nice um, biodegradable. And, and one thing we learned from their show is there's also another terminology called home compostable.
0: Um, home so combustible, they,
2: huh? Not combustible, but compostable. Compostable.
3: compostable. compostable. Yeah, yeah compostable. you don't want a home combustible. <laughs> yeah, that would be there. Work, that would be you know, trouble. So. Yeah, trouble.
2: My exploding is strong. sounds exciting. <laughs> <laughs>
3: that,
2: what that label means is you can actually throw it into your trash. Your compost, it will, yeah. it will break down. Um, Excellent. So They have some nice, uh, real nice bags that I'm going to use for my hemp hearts when I get when I get into that. Um, so, yeah, those kind of things. Excellent. So, yeah, a lot of, lot of good no, stuff.
1: That's wonderful news.
2: Yeah, a lot yeah. of good things are happening there for sure. Yeah, they really are. So, good, good. Okay, well, it is that time. You're going to like You guys this. have a good rest of your day. All right. Oh, hang on. You got to oh, see oh, this. Wow. So, I got to hang on. on. I'm, sorry. I'm going on for this everybody back. tells me this is the highlight <laughs> of the show, but I'm it not is. sure about that. But I it's think the, trying this to be. is
3: the hamperer with his recipes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: So, uh, you know, this is uh, strawberry season now here in uh, in Michigan, and uh, we picked up some fresh strawberries the other day. It's a short season, right? It's only about three weeks, maybe four at the most. And So you want to get out there and get them, get them froze. But, so we're doing a, the smoothie of the month. It's strawberry and hemp seed, and Ooh. I'm really good at this again. I can share my screen, and I'll try to do that. Okay, we want... Why did I not find it? Of course I wouldn't find
3: it. careful what you share so yeah, well, that's what <laughs>
2: you know um, not that I got anything bad on there to worry about but you never know what what other people can do huh I can see it on my tab anyways. so this is a strawberry and hemp seed uh, with, uh, hemp, uh, straw strawberry and hemp seed smoothie. Uh, a light strawberry smoothie is a perfect way to usher in a season of fresh produce and welcome warmer mornings. In this smoothie, hemp seed takes place of nuts, creating a protein-rich smoothie that provides a dose of omega-3 fatty acids. Mm. So it's real simple. Uh, let me. I'm going to go back to my screen. so I can see this. Here we go. So um, fresh strawberries. Yep. This happens to be four cups on this, but to make the smoothie, you use about two cups. So this is about two servings. Of course, you want to use your healthy hemp parts, hemp which you want to use there.
3: Hold it still.
2: Uh, and then you got to use a blender or a really good arm with a, with a fork, so wherever you want to do it. And uh, you put two cups of the old strawberries, fresh or frozen, but we want fresh, of course, this time of year. Um, you, know, you can put other things into it. This also calls for banana and that kind of thing, but yeah, it's all right. Um, half a cup of water, three tablespoons of hemp seed. I would, say, I would go heavier on that. I'd put about four <laughs> and then a tablespoon of uh, vanilla extract. And you put it all in the blender and blend it nice and smooth. Comes out to look like something like this. Yummy. Yeah. And uh, my wife, she likes to add the, the protein powder as well.
3: <laughs> Mine too.
2: You know, got that going on. And uh, <laughs> you can also make it with uh, the almond milk or regular milk. Or if you want to, you can also make it with hemp milk. And we have a recipe for that on the site as well. So, Is that a hemp straw sticking out? It is a hemp straw sticking mm-hmm. in there. Yes, it is. Appropriate. Okay. Yes, hemp
1: is. milk is the best milk.
2: It is. It's very, very rich. Um, I got to learn how to strain it better to make it so it's not so gritty. Um, right. Uh, I got to work on that. But... I made some, uh, quite a ways ago, I made some of that. So,
3: and, and all of his recipes are online at iHemp, too, you might add. I was and uh, and I
2: have to give credit where credit's due, because I'm not all the genius on all this stuff. This was by Amy uh, Chaplin, uh, who made this one. Uh, and it was from, if I remember right on here. Food Network. Food Network is where this came from. So always wanted to give credit where due. Credit's due. So. When I make my own, I always tell you that. I have a great one for hamburgers. Uh, so that's, that's kind of my specialty is grilling stuff. So uh, that's where mine That's where mine are, are, the, are the original, so to speak.
3: So. Let me ask, does Down on the Farm sell hemp seeds? You know, Down on the Farm will be selling hemp seeds. Yes, we oh, will Oh, okay. All right. I, that's a that plug and... for him. I was helping him out there, you know. So.
2: <laughs> well, and you know, and, and uh, since you mentioned it, Mike, I'm going to do the ch- shameless plug. We do have the hemp seed oil as well. So yep. we make, uh-huh. and I got, the new stuff I got was the V1 oil. Uh, it's just made out of the hemp heart. So it's a lot, this is kind of dark. Uh, the new oil is a lot lighter than this. So uh. oh, no, hemp seed light. It's, it still has that earthy flavor to it, but it's just a little lighter flavor, a little lighter color. So uh, next week, uh, we are going to have uh, Rachel uh, Berry and Eric McKee to talk a little bit about uh hemp construction uh, world especially uh, since we're the following saturday we have that uh, hemp creek workshop so she's gonna be talking about that so we're looking forward to that's going to be a nice fun show and then uh, i'll be joining everybody on that day from uh, denver Uh, i finally got the right date that we're going out there now mike Uh Uh, and uh the that that evening and the next day they have the uh, hemp round table has their quarterly meeting. so We're attending that. We're an advocacy group for the hemp round table. So we thought we'd uh, maybe get this first meeting in with them and enjoy that. So with that, uh, I want to thank everybody for being on today again, Joe and Victoria. Thanks, Victoria. Thanks for uh, letting us know that size does matter. (laughs) we like to know that. So um, yeah look forward to the time that we can actually get
0: together and meet you guys face to face. So Yeah, I look forward to it. It an absolute pleasure, guys.
1: Thanks right. so much for this nice opportunity. It was so nice to meet you guys.
3: Alright, all right. well take care yeah. and uh, we we'll see see, uh, will say peace and love. We'll yep. see you all next peace week. And yes. Love. Yes. Peace, peace and, and love.
1: love. Yes. Thank you for listening to the IHemp Michigan podcast. If you have a question, comment, or suggestion? Email Dave at IHempMichigan.com. Special thanks to Eclectic Sales and Creative Marketing, LLC, for their audio editing. IHemp Michigan is committed to the whole plant success of industrial hemp, and it begins with the farmer. Get involved. Start by visiting ihempmichigan.com.